of attribution. Have I got that right? <laughs> uh, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. As we sip our Hello and welcome to episode 117 of Rockstar CMO FM. The M is for marketing and the F is for well you decide. As you're probably wondering, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? I'm your host, Ian Trusker. I'm no rock star, but I've picked up a thing or two over the last 20 years on my tour from techie to CMO. And each week, I chat to the true rock stars, my fabulous guests and chums, and hopefully share with you some marketing street knowledge that will inspire your inner rock star CMO. Come say hello. We are Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn and proud members of the Marketing Podcast Network. This episode was recorded on Friday the 3rd of June. I hope you've had a good week and you are well safe and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. This week, Jeff Clark has some great advice on managing your MarTech stack. I get some marketing street knowledge from Tim Parkin, a global marketing consultant, advisor and coach. And I wind down the week in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar with my chum, Robert Rose, for a cocktail and a marketing thought. But first, we need to pay the bar tab. I'll be back in a moment. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. On to our first segment where I chat with my chum, Jeff Clark, former Serious Decisions Forrester Research Director, and we dig into a perennial topic for this show as he warns us to beware the Martex. Welcome back, Jeff, to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you, my friend? I'm doing very well. I'm doing very well. How are you? How's the Jubilee going? Hey, it's going good. Yeah, um, I decided that we'd record this on the day when I'm supposed to be jubileeing or something. So it's the Queen's Jubilee today, Friday. Oh, you had RSVP to the Queen and say, couldn't do today? Yeah. She was very understanding because she knew that was talking to you, Jeff. So it's, <laughs> it's all good. In fact, uh, actually, the Queen is slightly poorly and couldn't make it to her own um, I know. thingy this morning. There so, was, uh, well, yeah. So get well soon, the Queen. I wish I could, uh, when, when I'm her age, if I get there, I wish I could do so well. Yeah, I agree. I agree. <laughs> and um, and uh, popping out, I mean, that service went on for hours and hours and hours. So I'm not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> Might still be going on now. I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, so let's uh, let's start off with our normal first agenda item. How's the weather there in sunny Massachusetts? It's not sunny. Oh, damn. Uh, <laughs> the only the only sunny part is that our uh, local Boston Celtics won the first game of the NBA Finals uh, wow. in the playoffs, and so uh, that was a bit of sunshine. But otherwise, it's rainy. Wow! Not expecting sun until afternoon. Wow! I don't think we've got sport on the agenda, so we'll have to add that then. We we may have to at least through this this time period because this is uh, this is big. You know? Wow! Well, awesome. If it's bigger than the weather, I'm happy to talk about it, mate. <laughs> um, and here we've had a sunny morning and it's now clouded over i think it looks like we're going to have a shower so that's yeah. that's the update for friday 3rd of june <laughs> the weather across two different uh, locations um and we had permission from irene to uh, talk about the weather by the way so there was awesome. an update on linkedin that informed us that we could do that hello irene anyway so uh last week we promised we were going to talk about the you have a great title for this segment, Beware the Martech Industrial Complex, which I think is a fascinating topic. And um, I'm guessing that as I've already blathered on for two minutes, we're probably not going to make 20 minutes, but I know we're going to try. <laughs> and um, the interesting thing about choosing this topic, Jeff, is that both of us actually come from the Martech Industrial Complex. 
so I, I love how often I talk on this show uh, with, with people who are actually from MarTech and they always want to throw MarTech in the swimming pool. So Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I actually think that Kel, uh, Kerry Cunningham, another Celtics yeah. fan, by the way, um, uh, mentioned the MarTech industrial complex or, or some phrase like yeah. that, which is like yeah. stuck in my head when I was listening to that. Yeah. Is it go Celtics? Is that what we say? Go Celtics. Go oh, Celts. Okay. Go, go Celtics. C's. You know, in Boston, it's like the C's, the B's, you know, the socks. So, yeah. Nice. All right. So that, that we'll adopt them as our unofficial uh, Rockstar CMO FM baseball team, unless somebody has a different it's a, ba- it's a basketball team, by the way. Basketball team. Oh, you're playing basketball. I thought you said baseball. No. I've really got to get up to date with my American sports, haven't I? Yes. Oops. All right. Sorry, Americans. Um, <laughs> all of you. Uh, so, uh, Right. So back to the topic. So the MarTech industrial complex. Now, bloody hell, where do we start here? I mean, we have so many TLAs and hype cycles and all that stuff around this stuff. I mean, some of them we've discussed on the show about CXM, ABM, MRM, RPM. You've put RPM in the notes. I think you're making that up. No, that's real time <laughs> process management, which really? uh, one of my former companies, Pega Systems, was a wow. uh, recent leader in RPM. Wow. Wow, it's not uh, rounds per minute. No, and I, I thought it was. Uh, I thought you were making a reference to music, as in the Rockstar CMO show. Uh, oh. We got CRM, WCM, all those other things, right? So, and we, and before the show, we talk about some of our old colleagues and some of the old, uh, some of the companies that we 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 sort of covered and talked about, and it's it. It's it's massive, right? So, mm-hmm. how do you? And I and I think I made the comment. We were just looking at one vendor just before I hit record, and I'm like. Who buys all this stuff? So, so, so Jeff, what say you? Yeah, well, it is, uh, it's daunting. And the thing is that a lot of these companies, uh, you know, have just, I mean, they get good at, you mm-hmm. know, there's a, there's a hype cycle on something, you know, and yeah. of course, you know, we've talked about account-based marketing, ABM being thrown in the, in the pool many mm-hmm. times. And that's one of those, those things that came along. And now all of a sudden, you know, people that were doing, I don't know, you know, different data platforms or different sort of web add-ons would be. We're now an ABM platform, and mm-hmm. you know, and and they're using they're using the hype to um, to garner attention and, and put themselves out in front. And you know, fortunately or unfortunately, I think since the you know companies that were really successful in marketing automation, like Eloqua, et cetera, you know. They were they were so successful to investors that investors started throwing money behind a lot of other marketing technologies. There you get the you know the big you know the uh, you know the the picture that's shown every year where it's there's five thousand yeah. companies in martech, yeah. there's eight thousand companies this year, there's ten. You know, uh, I, let me pause you on that point for a moment because I, I've had a I've had a scratch at that a couple of times, um, and that, that database of vendors is out of control because. It is so many of them now. When I look at them, they are either agencies with a product, or they're a single person company with kind of a product. They're services that I or they're I'd a product look- that appears in multiple categories, so yeah. they get counted several times. Yeah. That was I mean, like when we were at SDL. That was the case. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to denigrate the w- great work that um, Scott Brinker does and the Chief Martech, but I think that 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 there's a there's a frothing going on <laughs> in that. I mean, I work. I mean, I'm the CMO of a, a company that are highly acquisitive, right? So it's part of my job to 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 look for this kind of stuff and to look into this kind of research. And honestly, you start looking, and four out of five of them, I'm finding, are not here anymore. One person things, agencies and stuff. So I'd love to get that true number of how many really are Martech vendors, but. I've yes. digressed on you. And the other yeah. thing is, I think to set this up as well, is, is that one of the things I think we discuss a lot on here and I discuss with my guests is the fact that MarTech seems to be controlling the marketing process and our behavior and how we work and stuff. So it's important. As opposed to the this. other way around. Yes. Yes. So, um, so, so how do we control this? How do we, I mean, you say that we need to be beware the MarTech industrial complex. How do we prepare ourselves? How do, how do we beware? Yes. And I, so I think that it's, um, well, we've got this, or I, uh, you know, I've put together these six steps to put yourself in control, because I think that is the, that's the, the key theme is to you're in control of the, 
the the purchasing process. You're the buyer, you know, and, and when you say you, it's kind of like the the grand you, you know, you mm-hmm. and your team, you and your yeah. executive yeah. Uh, are the ones that should be in control. And yeah. and you know, too often, which I know we've mentioned many times before, people come in and it's like they find the shiny object that's like, you know, this is going to yeah. help me actually do my PR better or do my yeah. this better or that better. Yeah. And um, so you always have to give it the smell test, but the, rather than being reactive, mm-hmm. you know, companies and, and marketing operations teams, marketing technology teams that have done this well, they, they don't try, they, they try to get out of reactive mode and get into proactive mode. Mm-hmm. So the six steps to put you in control is part of being proactive and, and charting your own destiny. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, shall we start? Yes, down? absolutely. I was going to say. Down the list. <laughs> I, I, I actually said this last week as well. We love a list on this show. So, so you've got these six steps. So what's the first step? So first step is, and and, and these are in in pretty much in a uh, in a in a sequence. Um, mm-hmm. So first thing is to know your priorities, mm-hmm. um, and um, you know that might be easier said than done, but <laughs> but typically it's and and. And this is where you, you you have to start putting some pressure and responsibility onto your executive team to make sure are they clear about what their priorities are? Do we know yeah. what our near term strategy is? Do we you know in our in our annual planning process have we identified areas where um, the the gap of us getting us to our goals? One of the pieces of the gap is is technology. You know, so mm-hmm. if we're expanding into a target market or we're looking for new personas or we're, or maybe we're taking more, you know, of a target account approach, um, you know, then, you know, you'd say, okay, this is a priority that we need to make sure that our exec, our, uh, our technology is helping us execute right. on that. And anytime when we used to do for, as consulting engagements, we used to do uh, technology assessments. The first thing we ask was like, what, you know, what goals, you know, mm-hmm. give us two or three goals that are driving, what your company is trying to do and what marketing is trying to do to support that. And then, and then we can understand how everything, everything fits into that. Right. Right. So this isn't about requirements necessarily. This is about the, and, and, and is this, is this from a proactive perspective or is this about an audit perspective? Because it's both quite often this starts off, doesn't it? That somebody saw something on the web one day and said, Oh, that looks shiny. I'd like to do that. And that sounds like it's going to help me with this very tactical thing. But you're saying, that if if somebody comes with a request like that, they should ladder up and figure yeah. out how does that actual thing, how does that how does yeah. that help us meet as marketing team? How does it help us right. meet our goals this year? Right. How does it help with the company? How does it yeah. fit into the company strategy? And if it's a if it's a nice thing to do, uh, you know, it's just as you're doing your prioritization and you know having some sort of you know, more structured way of prioritizing investments and not just technology, but any kind of investment, you know, there should be an element of scoring um, fit to the strategy. Yeah. You know, uh, it's almost like a, it's almost like a five whys, isn't it? I mean, the first thing is, well, why do you want it? Well, it's going to help me create blogs faster or something like that. Why yeah. do you want to create blogs faster? Well, because they engage the audience. Why do you want to engage your audience more? Well, and et cetera, isn't it? And until you ladder up to a business need, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So know your priorities. Your first one. What's your second one? Second one is get executive support, and you can mm-hmm. use you can use the the articulation of of the priorities number one as yeah. your as your means of aligning with executive leaders. And so mm-hmm. you know, for most of our audience, that's going to be you know the CMO. Uh, it could also be you know some other executive like the head of sales or you know support or professional mm-hmm. services. So there could be multiple people, you know, business unit leaders. But it's like you want to make sure that you know what executive is in your court for when you make a proposal for big investments and make yeah. sure you've talked to them. And and this is you know it's like. It's like sort of evaluating any kind of process or for improvement. It's like start with the the executive in your you know line of, of yeah. uh, reporting to to make sure they understand what you're trying to accomplish and yeah. and that they know you're trying to accomplish something that is supporting their objectives. So that you're you know basically you're you're aligned on the on the same team. Uh, and, and, um, and it, and it may broaden out, you know, like I said, maybe your line of reporting, but if, but if it's a big investment, that's going to encompass things like sales or partner channel or whatever, then, then you want to make sure that you're on their radar as well. 
Yeah, yeah. The issue there, though, I think with that is that increasingly, I think that, you know, with SaaS and the ability to, you know, access tools just on the credit card is this there's this part is being missed completely right because it falls under the radar of somebody's somebody's ability to buy and so therefore some governance is lost isn't it and then you end up with this shanty town of crap of all these different tools that you need to stitch together that have a cost later in the the line because you never went through this process of getting executive support because there's actually some due diligence that will help you in that which actually gets us to point number three splendid (laughs) <laughs> so so the the third step is to um assess the stack assess mm-hmm. what you've got and and this is yeah. where this is where you find the um the shiny toys that's like oh yeah. how did that get in here and yeah, why yeah. why was that decision made or yeah. you know as is often the case um you know there's there's multiple things that do mm-hmm. something similar mm-hmm. um and this is where it gets kind of difficult to to you know play the game yeah. of what which one do we keep or whatever but yeah but you know when um, you know when I would be talking to clients about a technology assessment, it's like you know you you not only have your priorities, but you've got some basic things. You know, for every tool that's in the toolbox here, yeah. how does it deal with data? How does it help us? You know, is there a mm-hmm. return on it? Um, who's using it? I mean, is anybody still using it? You know, yeah. And 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 with that that lens of the priorities, you can start sorting yeah. out a lot of stuff that that we need to get rid of, which actually helps you. You know, it, it lays the mm. groundwork for instilling governance because then your executive can say, well, you need to actually mm. put together some sort of governance process to, um, yeah. you know, to, to yeah. make sure that we don't make these you know, bad decisions. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Because there's cost down the line, isn't it, of, of tying it all together. And even if you're not actually putting in technical integration effort, there's an effort of manual integration and people being able to find stuff, know what system things are in, all that kind of crap. Um, yep. And then um, the other thing is I, you touched on there is like a data and content. And those are the important things. I mean, when you do assess a, a MarTech stack, I'm sure you come across this, is how many places am I storing images? How many places am I yep. storing, um, you, you know, um, uh, customer data or, or usage data or the, the, any of the vanity metrics, right? So absolutely. So number three, access, assess your stack. Perfect. So assess, yes. where, where do we go next with number four? We need to build the. Uh, we need to paint the picture, which is mm-hmm. kind of what you were alluding to. There is to build a graphic demonstration of a. You could call it a process view. You could call it a yeah. data flow view, but yeah. but when you when you start laying out, here's what's in our stack, and you know here's here's where we're engaging customers. Here's where we're storing data. Here's what's you know processing uh, you know engagements, leads, opportunities. Here's our productivity tools. You know, here's what supports the website, and you see how everything goes t- together. Um, that's, I mean, that's when I, uh, the thing I experience is people go, "Oh, yeah, yeah." So I didn't realize that you know this tool sat within this data flow. Yeah. I didn't realize we were spending this money on something yeah. that was not connected to the rest <laughs> of the stack. Or yeah. you know, there's there's all kinds of things that just like pop out. Um, that people, it's like, I, yeah, I kind of knew this, but it's like, now I see it visually and it helps so much in terms of, um, you know, communicating the issues. Cause you can say, here's where the breaks are. Cause one of the things I used to do is to like, go through a, like a lead flow, um, you know, not like a funnel, but like a, it starts at these tools, goes to this tool, goes into market automation, then it goes to CR and say, here's the break points, you know, we're not getting data from here. Uh, there we're getting redundancy here, da 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 da, and then people yeah. go, oh, so we got to fix yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and I imagine that in in your work, you've seen both, right? You've seen both. There's been breaks, but also huge overlaps, right? Where you've got yes. multiple tools doing the same, thing. doing the same thing. Pick one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, um, and I think I remember when you were still at Forest, when you were at Serious Decisions Forester, that you actually there was a there was a case study that you did, wasn't there, where somebody saved a shitload of cash from just yeah. going through this process, right? Yeah, and and. Um, Yes. And, and it's like they, you know, they were determining what their priorities were. They were determining what the single source of truth for customer yeah. data was, which yeah. was, I think, Salesforce. And they, yeah. and so what integrates with that? What doesn't? Yeah. What are outliers? And uh, yeah, they, I think they took, I, I can't remember the exact number, but it was almost 50% of the wow. spend yeah. they were able to get away, you know, pull, uh, you know uh, get rid of. And yeah. then, 
decided what they could invest in or yeah. what money they could turn back to uh, yeah, for programs, no. which is where you want to spend most of your money. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if anybody, if you can pull that money out of your tech stack, I mean, so much of it, so much of the marketing budget these days is on tech, isn't it? And people, yep. Yep. That, that you, can, you can plow that back in as an investment. So we've got know your priorities, number one. Number two, get executive support. Number three, assess your stack. Number four, build a process data view, which is what we just did. Number five, Jeff, what are we doing next? Instill governance. Mm. Um, and this is, you know, we, we alluded to this a little bit earlier, particularly when you're trying to get the executive support. Uh, mm -hmm. But but technology planning is a uh, team sport. I mean, that's what <laughs> I always used to say. It's not. And, mm -hmm. and this is, you know, in, in B2B, most buying is a team effort. Mm -hmm. and, and so getting a team of people from, you know, either the marketing leadership, sales leadership, yeah. sales ops together to help make decisions, whether it's yeah. you're reviewing your assessment or whether it's, uh, you know, what are we going to purchase next? You know, where, where yeah. are the gaps we're trying to fill? Having that team, you know, which could be, you know, you could call it a steering committee, a governance team, or this, that, yeah. that. I mean, there's all kinds of ways. You don't want to make it overly bureaucratic, but on the other hand, uh, good purchasing in a business to business environment is done by a team. So who are those yeah. relevant people? And there might be some people like for an individual you know, investment that they're not necessarily on a, um, on a, on a sort of a formal team. They kind of come yeah. in and out uh, yeah. as they, as they need to make a case. But, um, but yeah. I think it's critical. Uh, you know, one guy I know who did this really well, who was a, um, he was like a director of marketing technology and he had the person from marketing ops, the person who ran the web digital team and somebody from sales ops. That was kind of like the core. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, and then you've, you know, you've got the CMO that you're reporting up to. So that's the, you know, that's the, the group that should be making the decisions. It's going to be different in every company, but that's okay. a, you know, Good, right, good right. Yeah, and often those that kind of process people don't like it because it's like saying no. But if you can support that with the process and data view that you've got and the stack assessment that you've done, you can clearly make it clear to somebody that well, look, we're already going to get that value if we use this tool differently or we use that tool better, yeah. or you know, tell me where this shiny thing fits into this process data view that I have here. Right? And, so, and, and also, you can identify what things don't. You know, what yeah. kind of purchases can be done without yep. yeah, yeah. going through yeah. a governance body? You know, right. it's like if you check these things off, go ahead. Yeah. You know, you pick the vendors, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And if it's not going to mess with our data, you know, yeah. go for it. Yeah, yeah. And is that is that where you define the requirements, gathering process, the stakeholders, all that good stuff yep. as well? So yep. you're you're then getting somebody to think about their needs rather than, oh, look, there's a shiny kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so and then we're we're on to the sixth, which is the final one. What's the final thing we need to do? The final thing, uh, which it might not be the final. If anyone's got seven, you know, or another <laughs> one, would feel feel free to chuck it in. But uh, when you're ready, build a business case. So when yeah. you're ready to actually make a new investment, you know, yeah. make sure that you are. You know, just showing what the business outcomes are going to be yeah. that you've gone through the due diligence of, you know, whatever, whatever right. IT requires or, you know, we've we've looked at how it's going to change our processes, our data. Yeah. Um, but but by doing a business case, you know, even even if it's a rudimentary business case, that mm -hmm. really helps you for gaining approval, both from your executive who you got your mm -hmm. support from in step two mm -hmm. or anybody else who. You know, like you might have the support of the CMO, but you got to go to mm. the CIO to uh, to actually make the um, the final decision. But this, well, this thing should sure write. You got a good case for it. Yeah, I mean, this bit should write itself, shouldn't you? If you've done the previous five, steps. if you've done everything else, yeah. this should write yeah. itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So cool. So, so you're building business case, and and like I say, I think some of it, some of these other points are probably more important in in a way. If you've got that governance process, because so many people aren't going through that business case or executive support because they're just getting these tools off, you know for $99 or whatever, but they don't recognize the damage that's, that's being done to the business longer term. Yeah. Splendid. So I like those six steps. Um, hopefully, are you going to write those up on a, on a shiny new blog at all? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll write it up. You make it shine, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Good show. Well, hopefully we'll see an article there then on rockstarcmo.com. All right. Last item on the agenda. Jeff, what, do you, what song are you recommending for us this week? Well, the uh, the group Imagine Dragons uh, had a uh, hit called Machine, mm -hmm. um, 
And it has this line, when are you going to see that I am not for sale? So I think that <laughs> that underscores everything we've just been talking about. Well, look at us. I don't know what year that was, Imagine Dragons. That's the last couple of years, isn't it? I, yeah. It's, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I'll we, look it up. I forgot and to look up the circuit date. So Yes, I'll, I'll do that when I do the outro. All right, mate. Well, that was excellent. Almost hit 20 minutes, 22 and a half minutes there. So um, not bad for us. And uh, will I speak to you next week? Yes. Totally good. And what, what are we going to talk about? I don't know. You know, I was thinking of following up on this topic with, uh, with, with one I've talked about before in earlier career is the five soft spots in technology planning. So what are, you know, we kind of went through these steps to take control, yeah. but what are the things that are really hard to do? Cool. And, and right. it's like the, the soft stuff, as I would often say, the soft stuff is the hard stuff. Right. <laughs> okay. So we'll talk a bit more about tech planning then next week. I look forward to it, Jeff. Have a great week, my friend, and I'll speak to you then. Hasta luego. Thank you, Jeff. And that was a snippet of Machine by Imagine Dragons from 2018. And as we discussed, Jeff has started sharing his thoughts on our shining new blog on rockstarcmo.com. And I'll include a link to that in the show notes. And if you have any feedback, like our wonderful friend of the show, Irene, you heard me mention there, let us know on the socials or drop us an email at hello at rockstarcmo.com. On to our guest. Tim Parkin is a global consultant, advisor and executive coach. By applying more than 20 years of experience merging behavioural psychology and technology, he specialises in helping global brands and award-winning agencies optimise performance and accelerate growth. Tim has contributed to Adweek, Forbes, MarTech and TechCrunch. Among others, he is a member of the American Marketing Association, the Society of Advancement of Consulting and was inducted into the Million Dollar Consulting Hall of Fame. And this week, he joins Rockstar CMO FM. Hope you enjoy this conversation. Hi, Tim. Welcome to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you? Hey, Ian. I'm delighted to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Hey, no, you're more than welcome. And where are we speaking to you from, Tim? I'm in Orlando, Florida, sunny and the home of Mickey Mouse and Disney World. Nice. You see, you've got the vibe of the show already because I'm always asking about the weather. So you already said it's sunny. So I'm glad to hear It's hot. That. Yeah, it's, let's, let's yeah. say it's hot. Hot and humid, always. <laughs> always, always. So you run an, an agency called Parking Consultancy or a consultancy called Parking Consultancy. Uh, tell us a little bit about what it is that you do uh, and, and about your consultancy. I'd love to. Yeah, I'm an advisor and consultant to marketing executives around the world, really. And I help them maximize the results and revenue of their marketing teams. So a lot of operations, optimization, and generally just how do you make your marketing better? Yeah, yeah, I love it. And um, and uh, I talked to a lot of marketers that started in tech. And when I was uh, doing the research, when we were having a chat before, I noticed that you've got a developer's background. So Similar to me, I started in tech and then became a CMO. So what inspired you to choose marketing from your technical background? Ian, it is the most bizarre way to enter marketing, <laughs> I think. You know, uh, tech is great because you have a very technology-oriented perspective. And today, marketing mm -hmm. and technology are synonymous. But actually, yeah. before technology, I was into magic, you know, card tricks, prestidigitation. Oh, wow. And as a yeah. young boy, I thought I wanted to be a professional magician. And so I was mm -hmm. in a magic club. I did the whole thing. Uh, but then I realized pretty quickly that if you're a magician, you work nights and weekends. That's when people have yes. dinner parties and birthday parties <laughs> and things like that. I don't want to do that at all. So I got into technology um, and love that, but then realized as well, it wasn't really my calling. But I think marketing mm -hmm. is a combination of both of those. Marketing is technology, as you know, right. but it's yeah. also understanding how people think, how they act, mm -hmm. telling a compelling story, keeping them engaged. I mean, that's magic. So magic mm -hmm. and technology to me, that's marketing. Oh, I love it. I love it. Plus, I think, I mean, I've, I've written some code in my time. I don't so much now, but I think that's a creative process as well. So I think that's also part of what developers and marketers have in common is that creativity, I think, and that creative I mindset. I love that. I love that you say that because so many people think of coding as this boring thing that you're sitting there yeah. pounding away at a keyboard. You're right. It is problem solving. It is creative thinking. There's a lot yeah. that goes behind the scenes. 
Yeah, I was always I was always fascinated by getting a computer to do something or even another computer to do something. It's just exactly. It's, I, just, I just found that found that fascinating. That's my that's my background anyway. Um, now, well, some of the things that um, we were talking about before I hit record, and I've seen you talk about, and, I, and one of the things I picked up on that I really like, and it's something that we all face in our day jobs as CMOs and, and sort of marketing leaders, is testing and measurement. And I know that's a hot topic for you as well as, as us. But I've, I've read some, some of the stuff that you've done, and you talk about testing and measurement as a strategic uh, enterprise within marketing. Tell us about that. What's your view on testing and measurement? I would say there's two things that matter in marketing and really only two things that matter. And that's testing mm-hmm. and optimizing. And I can make an argument that even something like branding, you know, involves testing. The reality is the situation that we all have as CMOs, as marketing leaders, is that we don't know what will work. Uh, nobody knows mm-hmm. what will work. Your team doesn't, mm-hmm. you don't, your agency doesn't, no one knows what will work. And if you accept that premise, then that means that the only way to find out what will work is through testing. And then yeah. optimizing on the back end of that. So I have a process called test-driven marketing, which I've developed and walked my clients through. And it allows us to focus uh, ruthlessly on the key priorities and then build tests around those to get the most results. But testing is so essential. It's imperative. Uh, you can't do marketing without doing testing. No, no, I agree. And I've always thought of it like... Um, because you don't know what's not going to work. And so I've always thought of it like hedging. You know, you, you try f- five or six different things... Uh, and then te- and then really measure and make sure they're working. But you, you've got to know that some of it isn't going to work, right? And be confident with that. Absolutely. I mean, that's just the honest, uh, brutal truth, right? That yeah. if we agree that we don't know what's going to work, we're going to fail. And we're going to fail yeah. a lot. And we have to be okay with that. And that's a real big challenge for so many marketers and for big yeah. companies especially that they're not used to failing. They're not used to wasting money and wasting time. But ironically enough, they end up wasting time and money by not (laughs) testing. So (laughs) you can't win. And when you're talking about testing, and by the way, is this one of the key things that that you see with your clients? Is this where you tend to hone in and focus of of where they should start? Absolutely. I think if you already have a well-established team, testing is the next step. Of course, you know, everything in marketing is predicated on having a high-performance team. And so a lot of my work also is on the team itself. And I call that marketing inside out. That, you know, we focus so much on the customer and we ignore the fact Mm. that our team really matters, that operations matters, that our process and our people and our alignment are key. Right, right. Yeah. And is that across the business or just within marketing? Because I think um, there are two schools of thoughts on on customer experience, isn't it? A lot of people talk about focusing on the customer, but actually, if you focus on your people and, you know, I mean, being down there near Disney, right, you see it for yourself, right? They they support their people to give that experience. Is that the sort of thing you think when, when you're talking about marketers? Absolutely. You know, I love going yeah. to Disney and my wife always makes fun of me because you walk around <laughs> Disney and everything is just so thought out. The people are empowered and equipped. They have processes mm-hmm. to handle anything. Most people don't realize Disney has a whole anti-mosquito system to keep mosquitoes wow. out of Disney World. I mean, it's absolutely insane. Wow. And the level of yeah. detail, you know, trash cans are hidden and look, you know, well-designed uh, as part of the yeah. uh, environment. Everything about Disney is world class. The people, the process, and how everything is run. And it's a great right. lesson, a great example for marketers. Yeah, yeah. Um, I listen to, um, well, I have Robert Rose on the show, and he does a podcast with a guy called Joe Polizzi, who wrote Content Inc. and stuff that you may know. And he, he recently went on vacation. He was talking about it on his podcast that, like, Disney just blew him away in terms of that. that he, he became even more of a super fan when he saw how well they treated, how well organized they were, and how well treated the visitor was it's, but i digress a little bit yeah yeah i digress a little bit there we were talking about t- testing and measurement now what are you talking about when you're testing what sort of things are you recommending people test are we talk about individual campaigns and treatments and keywords and stuff or are we talking about something a little bit different yeah so there's the tactical and the strategic and the tactical is as you mentioned you know changing different copy changing different layout yeah. of the page things of that nature targeting different people but then there's the strategic yeah. And the strategic is where you can really move the needle. If you think about what are the elements, uh, the pillars of our campaign or of our approach that would matter the most. So I'll give you an example. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of my clients, you know, are trying to embrace video finally. And they're seeing that video is how consumers are processing everything. And if you're not using video, then you're missing out. And so now it's not just about doing video and not doing video. It's how can we embed video in everything we do? How can we make it kind of this red thread that is woven throughout all of our marketing? And can we test that video as something that we do, a way that we do marketing, not just as a tactic of let's produce a video, but how can we rethink the whole experience, the whole journey, and make a video a core part of that? 
Right, right. So you're thinking about these tactics and channels as strategies and how they fit into your overall strategy. Absolutely. Yes. Right. Right. And what are the key metrics? I've, got, I've, I've gone into this rabbit hole now, testing and measurement, but what, what are the key metrics you tend to help your clients set? What, what, where do you think they should focus? Business metrics are the first and best place to start. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of marketers want to talk about revenue and ROI. It's a hard thing to measure, but business metrics matter. You know, pipeline yeah. matters if you're B2B. Even, you know, sales and um, customer acquisition matters on B2C side. So looking at from that perspective, and then one of the frameworks I really love is OKRs, objectives and key right. results. Yeah. And so setting yeah. goals from that perspective, from that lens, and then mm-hmm. running your operations, running experiments and tests, aligned to drive those results is really key because with OKRs, you can break them down. You don't have right. um, sub goals, et cetera. So I think combining those two things, OKRs yeah. and strategic focus on testing, you can move mountains, you know, with minimal yeah. effort. Yeah. And do you encourage marketing teams to embrace those kinds of things? Because those things are sometimes applied to an organization by HR or by the senior leadership. But do you suggest to marketers that they actually own that and do that themselves? Absolutely. Yes. And that's what I help my clients with because it's so imperative. Marketing teams are overwhelmed and inundated Mm -hmm. and just, you know, exhausted with all the requests and responsibilities Mm -hmm. and things they have to do. They need prioritization. As I said before, ruthless prioritization. You can't just prioritize. You have to be absolutely ruthless about where are we focused? Right. Where's every dollar being spent, et cetera? And that's where OKRs really can help a marketing team. Yeah, yeah. What I also find about OKRs is if you're then driving senior behavior with OKRs, then obviously they then drive their team in the same way and it kind of ripples through the organization, yes. doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. And that's key yeah. because you can't micromanage everything, right? And so no. having some guiding light, having a structure in place. And what I love also yeah. about OKRs, not to go on a rabbit hole of OKRs, is, uh, <laughs> how flexible they are. You know, they're not so rigid. Yeah. It's not, you know, just that we have to hit this goal or not. You know, there's some wiggle room yeah. there. And that's really important because it accepts the reality of the world. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it goes back to your testing and measurement, doesn't it? It's the cornerstone for everything. I mean, that's the important thing about a good OKR is it's measurable, isn't it? And you can Absolutely. set what that goal is and you can understand that. Yeah, so, so, um, so if we move up a little bit from... Um, the topic of measurement with, and to that topic of strategy that we just touched on. Um, you also talk about, I mean, you can see behind me, the, the listener can't because I don't do video, but um, I've got marketing books behind me. Everyone's got a best practice in it, right, of how we should run our business. But I thought what was interesting about what I read that you were talking about was that everybody has their own best practice. And, it, and I'm interested, how do you find that? Is, that? is that part of that measurement and testing strategy? Or how do, how do we find our own best practice? Yeah, I think first, to your point, you have to realize and recognize that best practices externally are a panacea. There's an epidemic. You know, we all want to chase this silver bullet of, you know, that must work for them. Let's do it for us. That, yeah. that doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't work that way. So you're right. We have to develop our own internal best practices. And there's a couple mm-hmm. of ways we can do that. The first is just, you know, talk to your people and write down your history. There's many people at right. companies and now with the great resignation who are leaving, who mm-hmm. have all the mm-hmm. knowledge and all the insights of what worked historically. You know, document that and do more of that and turn that into best practices internally. The second is testing. As you're testing, you're going to learn what works and more importantly, what doesn't work. And what most people fail to realize is that the the goal of testing is not better results. That's a byproduct of testing. The -hmm. goal of testing is insights to know what works and what doesn't. And so if you want to get best practices, you have to do that by testing. But then the third and final way is to ask your team, you know, and they have lots of ideas uh, and and we can talk about ideas, but your team has lots of ideas about what works and what doesn't and things that they've seen that maybe you haven't ever asked them about. Mm -hmm. So um, (laughs) the question that pops up in my mind is therefore, do you have a best practice for finding best practice? (laughs) Is this the sort of thing you teach your clients? Exactly. Yes. And and one of the artifacts of that, which I'll share, which I think is so valuable and you can create this, you know, today, Uh, and it costs nothing, is what I call the book of knowledge. And it's basically Mm -hmm. an internal wiki of, you know, your targeting, your tech stack, um, everything you know about your customers, the questions, ideas for the future. I mean, there's many, many more facets of this, but document this internally and share it with your team and share it with other Mm -hmm. organizations, departments in the organization, because that information is the value that you create through doing marketing, through talking to customers, through doing testing. And if you don't document it, if you're not sharing it, then your mm-hmm. team and other teams can't benefit from that and um, right. and deliver greater results. So create your book of knowledge. It's really easy to do and it's really, really important. Right. And so if we're thinking about structuring this book of knowledge, I love this idea. So are we talking about, so you, we were talking just now about OKRs and goals and testing and metrics. 
is it including those as well as the personas, who the our audience is, the things that we've done before that have worked, company history? What other things do we need to put in this book of knowledge? Everything. Yeah. Imagine you walked into a library and just the yeah. wall is just covered with all these tomes and uh, of knowledge. And you could say yeah. everything we've ever done as a company from a marketing perspective, everything we've ever thought about, every campaign we've run, every result we've gotten, every idea we've had, uh, every wow. uh, example of other campaigns that other companies have run that we've liked, uh, yeah. things for the future. I mean, anything you can think of, you can put in here. And obviously, you have to mm -hmm. uh, organize it and categorize it. But, uh, you know, one of my clients um, likes to show this across their product teams. So they have, you know, many different product lines. And so they'll mm -hmm. have an individual space for each product. Uh, line, but then they'll you know have a shared space where they can also share insights across that because some of them are similar or relate, et cetera. So right. you can reference this, you can share it. Uh, there's so many yeah. uses for it, but everything you can think of should go in here. Right. And how does that work when you're working with our clients? Because in, in my experience, a lot of marketing teams, you know, we're like little hamsters on our hamster wheel go, you know, we can't stop, can't stop, can't stop. We've got to get the next thing out. We've got to get the next thing going. Both of the approaches that you've, well, all three things that we've talked about so far, testing, OKRs, doing this book of knowledge involves a bit of pause and a bit of reflection. How do you, how do you get a marketing team to do that? Yeah, it's two phases. The first phase, right, is, is the culture is admitting that we need this, we value it, we understand we could benefit from it, but how do we yeah. do it? The second phase is, as you say, <laughs> to get started while you're on the hamster wheel. You know, you can't stop yeah. the wheel. The wheel has to keep spinning. You need to, you need <laughs> yeah. to keep bringing in revenue, right? Uh, but you yeah. can do this in piecemeal. Like the book of knowledge, you mm -hmm. can start to create the outline today and have your team right. fill in over time. and It'll grow to become right. something useful. The same with testing. You don't have to run seven tests tomorrow, but you can start by running one test a month. And once you see that it's actually not difficult and you, mm -hmm. it's fun to see the results, then you can run two tests and then five tests and then 10 tests. Um, but it depends on the organization too, because I know capacity is always a struggle with marketing mm -hmm. teams. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And how do you keep that book of knowledge alive? I mean, when, you know, the, the big, cla the classic statement about doing persona work, for example, is that you'll do spend these weeks, we'll define the persona, we'll get it all right. They then go into a virtual drawer somewhere and nobody ever refers to them again, right? So how does, does the book of knowledge, is it something that there's a lie that people are referring to all the time and contribute to all the time? That's the real value of it. Yes. First, you have mm -hmm. to obviously maintain it. And that's really important. Yeah. Just like a library. If when people yeah. return the books, you just let them stack up, that would be useless. So there is some <laughs> maintenance there. Uh, but it yeah. is an asset that people are referencing on a weekly, if not daily basis, because right. they're recording what happened. They're looking up what someone else right. is working on or, or what the numbers were. As targeting changes and it's being reflected in there, as new data mm -hmm. points come in, they're being added there. You know, some of my clients have yeah. a research team as new research is being developed about nice. the customers being put in there. Yeah. So now I can access that to get new ideas. So everyone is constantly has their hands in this pot. Um, and then you okay. have someone typically who is a you know custodian, uh, librarian, mm -hmm. if you will, to manage it and maintain mm -hmm. it as well. Mm -hmm. I like it. I've never heard this idea before. I mean, obviously I've heard the ideas of creating personas, creating customer journeys and doing, and, and obviously testing and all and OKRs yes. and that kind of stuff, but bringing it all together in this sort of book of knowledge is a fascinating idea. I, it's I really so like simple that. and so effective. It, it has yeah. changed the course yeah. of teams uh, literally in the course of months. And it's, wow. it's just so simple, wow. utterly simple. Yeah. Yeah. And it must be great for content marketing as well, because I imagine that you can then capture all of the ideas that your team have about, what we should be talking about, what are the hot topics in the market at this point, or some news that come, comes out and start sharing that across the team. Is that what you see too? Absolutely. It's funny you say that. I was yeah. just talking to an executive and they have this whole internal uh, training course for the company to learn about the products mm -hmm. and whatever. And we were looking at it and we said, we should just slice this up and use this as yes. content marketing. And yes. there you go. You have all these assets. And that's the reality of yeah. most teams, most market organizations mm -hmm. is you have so much gold inside of your team. You don't even realize. Yeah. You just have to yeah. stop. Like you said, stop the wheel for a second. Slow down for a second <laughs> and look inside. <laughs> I love it. And then we were talking just now about gathering. I mean, it seems like part of this book of knowledge is to gather the ideas, not just document what you've already done. And you were talking about right. gathering ideas. So how, how, how do you approach your clients when you want to bring those ideas together? Yeah, I have a couple of tools that I use, uh, and there's really five steps to getting good ideas. But first, let's admit that we need ideas because there's this fallacy mm -hmm. out there that you know ideas are worthless and execution is everything. Yeah. Well, if yeah. we agree that you don't know what will work, then you can't yeah. just execute. You need ideas to know what to execute on and what to test and try. So ideas yeah. have real power. But one of the most mm -hmm. powerful things I learned about ideas is that you have to narrow your focus. If I were to mm -hmm. say to you, Ian, give me three <laughs> ideas on how to improve the car. 
You know, it might yeah. take you a while to come up with something. But if I said, give yeah. me three ideas to improve the steering wheel, I mean, something yeah. probably immediately jumps into your head about some inconvenience yeah. you've had or something you didn't like about it or something you wish it did. So you have yeah. to narrow your focus. And this is where, you know, the test-driven marketing framework allows us to focus on the core areas that we've evaluated, chosen, and agree are going to be meaningful for the business for us to focus right. on. So narrowing your focus is one. Having a framework is the second. Mm-hmm. And I have an eight-box diagram I walk my clients through, which basically gives you different ideas of, of how to generate ideas. You know, for example, one of them I call freestyle, which is from uh, Debano. Uh, give me mm-hmm. a word and whatever words you give me, let's see what that means to us and come up with ideas based on that word. It's kind of a kickstart right. that pushes you in a different right. direction to come up with ideas. Uh, but right. then also you got to write these down. You know, you have to take your ideas and write them down to have the mm-hmm. ideas, like you said, to put them in a drawer is not enough. You have to write them <laughs> yeah. down, put them in that book yeah. of knowledge and then put them into yeah. practice. Great tests around them. Yeah, yeah. I love it. And especially, I mean, how many, I mean, if you, you like me, you've been around this marketing game for a while, right? Is, is how many conference room whiteboards have we written on where that's never, ever <laughs> made the light of day, let alone made it into that virtual drawer, right? So that's these right. ideas have to be, have to be captured. And I like the idea of having the book of knowledge because then you can, you can revisit those and, you know, t- team members change or whatever. You can, you can then keep that, keep that fresh. I love that. I love that. All right. Well, um, that was excellent. Thank you very much, Tim. And we're kind of coming up to time. I hadn't realized where we were. I'm going to ask you our final question. We have a regular feature on Rockstar CMO called the Rockstar CMO Swimming Pool, our portal to marketing hell for the overhyped trends, BS and snake oil from this marketing industry we love. What would you like to see chucked into the pool? There's a big one here. and I might get some heat for saying this, <laughs> but I'll say it anyways. If you believe that artificial yeah. intelligence and algorithms are going to save you and replace marketing fundamentals, then you're sorely mm-hmm. mistaken. Uh, marketing mm-hmm. will always be about people. It has always been about right. people. And AI yeah. and algorithms, despite having a technology background like yourself, Ian, I know they're yeah. valuable. I know they have use. But we have to get rid of this idea that AI yeah. and algorithms are our savior and here to deliver good results for us. Marketing is yeah. about people. Yeah, I love that. I love that, especially as you know full well that if you give us marketers anything, we'll ruin it, right? So, so, so true. look what we've done with marketing automation. I mean, can you imagine if they gave us an intelligent robot? Good Lord. <laughs> We'd be in big trouble. <laughs> I love it. Thank you very much, Ray. And when, I mean, you've come up with, you've named a few different um, models that we should follow. There's plenty of stuff there that I think that we can take away from this. And when people spin the dial on the interwebs, where are they going to find you and where can they find some of this work? I would love to connect on LinkedIn. That's Tim Parkin, mm-hmm. Parking without the G on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. And I am starting to do LinkedIn Lives every Thursday, every week. So I would love to connect with you nice. there and see you on LinkedIn. Nice. And I'll include all your links in the show notes, Tim. Thanks very much for your time. I look forward to staying in touch and maybe having you back on the show. Love it. Thanks, Ian. Cheers, Tim. Bye-bye. Thank you, Tim. Enjoyed that. Packed quite a bit into that interview, and I will definitely have him back to unpack some of those frameworks we touched on. Right, it's Friday evening. Time to wind down in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar and find my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose, chief troublemaker at the content advisory for a cocktail and a marketing thought. Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking? Oh, hello, my friend. Welcome to the bar and welcome to the end of the week. Um, it is, uh, it, it's, gosh, it's been a busy week. Um, I really need a, I really need a cocktail here. Um, we have something fun planned. Uh, you know, here's the thing. I was, uh, you know, <laughs> when I was a kid, uh, I, and, and by kid, I mean like 18, 19, 20, 21, not like kid, kid, because what yeah. I'm about to say would then be like really weird. Um, Mind you, so, man, you, you were brought up in Texas. You know what I mean, so that's right. Well, that's true. So yeah, so <laughs> take it all with a grain of salt, folks. Yeah, take yeah. Um, you know, there. Yeah, well, I get off on a rant on Texas, but okay. <laughs> Just so much there. To, so it's mm. such a rich and awful thing now. But anyway, all right. Getting back to the the, uh, mm-hmm. the the topic at hand, I used to drink uh, when I was a kid rum and cokes because that's what kids drink, right? You know, yes. you 
throw Coca-Cola in there and then you throw rum in there and it's like mm-hmm. sugar piled on top of sugar piled up on top of sugar. Um, mm-hmm. And it was perfect when you were 18, 19, 20, 21 years old and, you know, running around and, you know, mm-hmm. had the metabolism of a hamster um, and <laughs> you could do all that. Well, now I can't, of course, you know, I've stopped drinking yes. Coca-Cola full stop, you know, maybe occasionally uh-huh. when I go to the movies, I have a, a, a diet Coke or something, but um, it's pretty much no, you don't drink soft drinks anymore. However, mm-hmm. I missed it. I, I, I had this, I had this sort of craving for it recently, and it that sort of affected the cocktail for tonight, which would be a classic rum and coke. Except, of course, now we're adults and we drink fancy cocktails. We don't drink yes. rum and cokes, so we have <laughs> what we're calling the Cuba Libre, um, and nice. the Cuba Libre, uh, which is just as easy as it gets is ostensibly a rum and coke now using really good rum here is a is a is a Mm -hmm. really you know not the cheap stuff we did as kids but the the more expensive stuff putting in a light amount not a heavy amount of (laughs) coca-cola and Uh then a a, a good amount of lime juice right so a little bit of lime juice that that gives it you know that that adds the fancy right is what Mm. that does um and so it's that's it. It's very simple. Poured over ice, little Coca Cola, a really good rum to pour in yeah. um, and make it adult beverage, and then of course a little lime juice. And that's our Cuba Libre for tonight. Splendid. Well, um, my my wife's actually a fan of a Cuba Libre, so uh, you'd think that the on my desktop bar that I would have the ingredients for such a drink. So let's see how we get on. Uh, I've actually got um, the most. Um, let me see. I have the most English of rums. Ah. <laughs> and it's brand new bottle, that opening. It is. This this week, it's Hendrix Neptunia gin that my uh, my good lady wife actually purchased for me for my birthday. Fantastic. I, yes. I'd like to see that since you're not getting the sponsorship from Hendrix, you've moved along. <laughs> And uh, we put, and you put Coca-Cola in that, right? Which is, which is a, a fizzy beverage, isn't it, of, of sorts? Which I think... Um, it is fizzy, yeah. Ooh, the people at Fever Tree have supplied me with some, uh, some fizzy libation to pop into my liquor. I see. Uh, they've made it with, um, rather than cocoa, they've made it with cucumber. <laughs> the, most, the most English of cocaines. <laughs> yes. There you have and they it. Probably, they might have put the lime in already. Let me give this a taste. Oh, that's delicious, Robert. I could drink one of these every week. I suspect you might. <laughs> and what are we calling these? Uh, we call those a Cuba Libre if we are drinking the one with rum and Coke in it. I'm not sure what <laughs> Cucumber Libre would be, but... Uh, I did. I should have said that was Fever Tree Cucumber Tonic Water. I don't know if I said it was Tonic Water and people just thinking I'm dumping cucumber into my drinks. Yes. Um, <laughs> so we're sipping these Cuba Libres, um, and I'm, I'm partial to one occasionally as well. Um, whereabouts are we going to be drinking these? Well, I think we have to go, I mean, you know, I would love to go to Cuba, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a, I have, a, it's on, definitely on the bucket list, and it's becoming more plausible certainly these days for americans which it wasn't for so many years um and so i do have i do have a design to get there but i think for now um what we do is we go down to the florida keys which is just about as close to cuba as you can get and still stay within the u.s so going down to one of the islands on the florida keys putting on a little jimmy buffett um and (laughs) putting our toes in the sand and drinking our cuba libres (laughs) Nice. And I know that Florida isn't one of your favorite states, but I do like that. It is not, but the Florida Keys will definitely suffice that, you know, that that's first of all, it's on the right side of Florida, meaning it's on the left side of Florida. Um, (laughs) And so, yeah. Very nice. And I think I already told the story on this podcast before going down to the Florida Keys, renting a convertible Mustang with my wife when we were first married, first moved over to the U.S., and uh, drove all the way down there and got sunburned on one side of my face and then drove back in the dark. <laughs> so oh, no, was... no, no. So you ended up, you ended up looking yeah. like Two-Face from Batman. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I was Two-Face for the next couple of days. And, but yes, a lovely part of the world and a great place. And in fact, I probably have had a uh, Cuba Libre or two 
in our very yes. location. So delicious, very nice. So we're down, we're down in the Florida Keys, beautiful parts of the world. We're sipping these drinks, uh, and conversation, as it does with us, turns to marketing. What are we talking about this week? Well, I think we're going to talk about brand. Um, and, you know, it's an interesting thing. I've been having some conversations of late around the idea of brand, and it's become very important mm-hmm. as we've moved into the post-pandemic sort of noisy digital world and how much of the experience we have to create through digital and branding has become and brand messaging has become sort of a thing. And interestingly, you know, something I said to a colleague sort of perked up her ears and sort of reminded me of (laughs) the, you know, the disconnect we have between measuring brand and value for the company. And, you know, back once upon a time when I was a CMO and my boss, um, who you actually know, um, yeah. he used to ask me, they, he and the, the, the board would often ask me, they would say, you know, about our efforts at building brand and, and what were the results and what value did branding add to the business over mm-hmm. the last month. And my answer was always the same, which is good things. And <laughs> no surprise that they wanted a little more specificity than that, but but um, that was as that was as specific as I ever got was good things. Mm-hmm. And 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 here's the reason I say that, <clears throat> you know, when we and and these days, by the way, you know, it, we see it in our research, right? The the research that CMI did in 2022. If you look at the uh, of marketers that we surveyed said creating brand awareness was the goal that they wanted to achieve and was the goal that they did achieve by using content and content marketing. And then when you say, okay, great, what are the goals associated with that? It's fascinating because when you, when you look at it, it's building credibility and trust, educating Mm -hmm. audiences, building loyalty with existing clients and customers Mm -hmm. uh, and creating brand awareness are the top four answers for the goals full stop. So yep. it's no surprise that 80% said brand brands, you know, brand value is it. But what I found interesting was that measurement, right? You know, so it's like, what is your objective brand awareness, credibility and trust? Those are all brand goals, right? Those are mm-hmm. all, those all have to do with brand, which is interesting because then when you say, okay, well, how are you measuring that? Mm-hmm. Well, the top four answers go right into the vanity metrics, right? They go right into what we typically would assume that we would see with those efforts, which is traffic. And then we see email engagement and then we see social media analytics. And then we see, you know, website engagement, you know, time on site and those kinds of things. Those are the, those are the top ways that we measure that brand. And of course, none of those are relevant, right? None of those are terribly relevant to the value of the brand, right? In other words, the pushback if we go ask for more money for brand awareness and we say, how are you going to measure that? And we say, let's say website engagement, well, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean you've grown credibility or trust because it could just mean that your increase in website engagement is people scrutinizing the digital content for how awful it is, right? And <laughs> they, don't, yes. they don't actually trust the brand at all. In fact, that they're they're trying to find yeah. what they're looking for and can't find it. And thus, the time on site is actually the exact opposite indication from it. Or engagement from email, you know, if that increases and you go, great, what happened? And it's like, well engagement from email because we started talking about something that they actually really cared about, which yeah, you guessed it wasn't our brand. And so (laughs) measuring brand value against the engagement of these kinds of metrics is really Mm -hmm. difficult because, and this is, you know, this is your tweetable moment, I guess, which is measuring (laughs) transactions is easy, but measuring triggers and motivations is hard. And so when you start thinking about brand value, there are ways to do it. There are definitely ways to measure brand value, but the you know the question, and this came up in the my discussion with my colleague was because you know we often talk about share of voice, right? Which I absolutely yeah. hate as a metric, because I always want the uh, I want the you know I want the object in that sentence, right? I want you know what voice voice of what, you know yeah, share yeah. of voice of what? Is it more awareness? Is it more trust? Is yeah. it more action to buy? What is the share, you know, what voice are we trying to get more share of? And that's a really interesting way. So one of the things that I've found is that 
it goes back to my co- my conversation with my 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 old boss, which is you kind of just need to be satisfied because it can be analysis paralysis to try and figure out all of these things. So if we just start saying, hey, we need to do some level of brand awareness as part of our marketing mix, mm-hmm. what happens when we do that? Good things happen. Yeah. It will be more trust. Yeah. It will be more engagement. It will be more sales. It will be more profitability, share of shopping cart. All of these kinds of things will happen when you do yeah. brand efforts. And ultimately, then the question becomes, how much brand building should we do? And my answer mm-hmm. is also unsatisfyingly, enough. You should do enough. You know, <laughs> Do enough yeah. and good things happen. Yeah. Well, how do you um, how do you value? I mean, we've moved so far away from that way of thinking as Marxists, haven't we? That that you know, we're doing things that can't be measured and can't be attributed to a deal, particularly in B two B, is is a, is a tricky business. And um, and then how much should you spend? So, it, are we thinking that we need to have a certain amount of our budget, marketing budget, non attributable? There's absolutely no, it, it, you know. There's nothing we can do about it. We won't know whether it was good spend or bad spend, but we must do it anyway. Well, exactly. I mean, <laughs> look over the. I mean, that's exactly it, right? It's like you know, yeah. over so over thirty years, I've been married thirty years, yeah. and I've learned over those thirty years that doing good things for my wife provides good things in return. Now, <laughs> I've got no. I have no idea how much time or effort or money I spend on these things. Though I would bet it's significant. <laughs> Um, now I could easily measure the transactions, right? I could easily, I could easily measure the time, the effort or the money I spend on these things. Mm -hmm. But even if I did, it would be impossible to connect them value for value for the good things I get in return. You know, it is, it, it is a savings account that you ultimately just put equity into, you know, and if you think for a minute, like the love that you have for somebody in your life, you know, maybe it's your partner, your mom, your dad, your children, maybe even a dog, you know, you go, well, how much love is in there? Have yeah. you measured it lately? Well, if yeah. you can't measure it, it doesn't exist, right? No, of course, that's ridiculous, <laughs> right? Sometimes the most accurate answer is enough. And yeah. And the answer is you don't know until you start doing it, right? And so yeah. you should have some level of brand building built into your marketing mix and, you know, it, it, it really depends on, in many ways, where you sit within the marketplace, your context within the marketplace. If nobody knows what you do and nobody knows who you are or what you stand for or why you exist, a healthy amount of brand investment is really important. And if everybody knows what you do and everybody knows why you exist and everybody knows your product, but you're simply trying to get them to... Uh, you know, purchase more of the things that you do, i.e. Mm-hmm. Apple, for example, well, then yeah. you don't, you can do less brand advertising and you can do less brand effort work and you can actually focus more on direct marketing. So it's, these are levers that you pull and push, not based yeah. on some algorithm, but based on the trust and the creativity and the gut feel that you have as a marketer. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, you've told the story before where you're working with an organization that was doing that decided to invest a lot in marketing and they did a number of activities. And when they looked at the attribution across all the activities, you know, their, their marketing had, had worked and, and then increased sales and all that stuff. But when they looked at the individual tactics, none of them had actually worked. But the but as a group, they'd worked. I'm probably telling your own story really badly, but it's like that, isn't it? Like if you if you do your if you do a good job of branding, then your PPC works much better because people will click on your ad because they've heard of you. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. right. I mean, you just you. I mean, good things happen, right? I mean, it's. You know, it's I <laughs> yeah. mean, it's that. That's exactly it. Yeah. 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 No, very good. Well, so that's excellent. So, um, so branding, we've got to do it. We don't know how much we need to do, but we know we need to do it, and we don't know how much to spend on it. But we certainly know we're not going to get a return from it in terms of attribution. Have I got that right? <laughs> uh, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. <laughs> As we sip so, our rum and cokes. <laughs> uh, well, it makes a lot of sense now after a couple of these. <laughs> so when, when people want to um, ha- read more of this stuff that's exactly right, that's written by you, where are they going to find that, Robert? Well, they'll find that on our website, which you might uh, find if you spin the internet dials to contentadvisory.com. <laughs> 
dialsdialsdialsdialsdialsdialsdialsdialsdialsdialsdialsdialsdialsdialsdialsdialsdialsdialsdialsdialsdialsdialsdialsdialsdialsdialsdialsdialsdialsdialsdialsdialsdialsd